Today is Sunday, September 1st, 2019. Time for episode 91 of the Barnhart Podcast. And it's that time of year there are more Cardinals. The St. Louis Cardinals just expanded their fall roster, calling up guys from the minor leagues. <laughs> there are there are that's not the cardinal story you're expecting but no i i, I saw i saw the the news come through Chaley and other sources like this is the time of year to be calling up more cardinals anyway I, I wonder if they did that on purpose well you know the whole thing i i need to write on this because people uh, obviously and rightly so they get freaked out and especially this time um we're to the point now it seems to me where anti-pope Bergoglio and his minions are now a hundred percent in the let's rub everyone's faces in this you know phase of this because it, it's been made clear to them and to the entire world that they can do absolutely anything and the maximum response they're going to get out of anybody is concerned hand wringing at most and so now it's just you know throw every sodomite that you criminal that you possibly can at the college of cardinals and you know make them electors and people people of of faith and people of goodwill are looking at this and they're saying the question is are these appointments valid and it's it's a very interesting question um and i wish i wish i could say absolutely not uh but there, there is nuance to this particular question about um, the College of Cardinals, and it goes back to the question, which, which is extremely important regarding all anti-papacies, and that is the concept called Ecclesia Supplet, E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A-S-U-P-P-L-E-T, the church supplies. And what this refers to is, is everything that anti-Pope Bergoglio does has done everything juridical is all of that invalid and the a- the answer actually is no not all of it is invalid the stuff that is required for just you know the the operations of the church the juridical stuff not the stuff that has to do with you know magisterium faith and morals all of that stuff that's not what we're talking about what we're talking about is just the juridical acts that go on as long as this situation, this emergency situation, this completely abnormal situation goes on. The stuff that I like to refer to as just keeping the lights on, all that kind of stuff. Um, for example, signing all of these uh, laicizations and so forth. Um, the church herself supplies jurisdiction in times of emergency like this. And this is a completely unprecedented emergency, obviously. Um, the church herself supplies jurisdiction for these acts that an anti-pope, namely in this case Bergoglio, does um, as long as this anti-papacy continues. Now, there's an exception to this. Anything done in malice is obviously disqualified from Ecclesia Suplet, because the church would never supply jurisdiction to ratify something that an anti-pope would do in in malice against Holy Mother Church. Now, what's interesting is that it seems to me that this, this contingency may have never previously been in force or been applicable, because as we've discussed at length, previously over the last several years, um, 
this is a completely unprecedented situation, and the previous anti-papacies were almost entirely questions of political intrigue. It was just, you know, confusion and people battling over uh, the papacy, which was up until about 130, 40 years ago, um, 50 years ago, almost, 150 years ago, almost like 1870, the, the papacy was also a, a, an earthly monarchy. There were the papal states. This That, that was a country in our Ameri- modern American parlance. And so the pope was, was the king, the earthly king of an earthly territorial jurisdiction. And so obviously there was a lot of political intrigue that, 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 uh, swarmed around that. Okay. That's clearly not what's going on today. We're completely different situation today. Um, and so the, the anti-popes previously, they weren't, I mean, they weren't out to destroy the one holy Catholic and apostolic church as anti-pope Bergoglio clearly is. So what we're looking at right now is yet another totally unprecedented situation in which not only do you have an anti-pope, but you have an anti-pope who's actively, consciously, with malice aforethought, trying to destroy the Catholic Church, period. He's a Freemason. He's trying to tear the whole damn thing to the ground, excuse me, tear the whole thing to the ground and and erect and replace it with a Freemasonic, sodomitical, Marxist, Freemasonic anti-church. Okay, Holy Mother Church could never and will never supply jurisdiction to acts that are actively malicious towards God, his holy church, and the faithful. And so, for example, the naming of these these wretched, wretched sodomite criminals that were just announced this morning— to be elevated to the College of Cardinals, who will be cardinal electors. Previously in history, when there was an anti-pope, Ecclesia Suplet was applied to cardinals that were given the red hat by an anti-pope Believe it or not, believe it or not, there's historical precedence for this. Um, and they were, and just when when the anti-papacy re- was resolved and everything got back on track, um, the Holy Mother Church looked at the situation and said, okay, this guy was an anti-pope, but while he was in, he did elevate these cardinals. So what we're, so what we're going to do is we're going to say that the church supplied jurisdiction for this act in this emergency situation. And you can, you can say that and it makes sense. And it's true because Those anti-popes in history, like we just said, were not acting in malice against God, his church, the faithful, etc. There there was just political intrigue. That's all it was. And the exact principle at that point is something called common error. In other words, people thought it was the common error thinking that this person really was the pope and had the Mm -hmm. authority to do this. This is a feature of canon law that, that comes from Roman civil law. And there was a, an example, I, I don't know all the exact details off the, off the top of my head. It might even be in, in the um, Catholic Encyclopedia online. But there was an educated slave, like many of them were, 
who mm-hmm. ran away from one part of from one part of the empire, ran away from his master, set up as a free man in another part of the empire, was renowned for his wisdom, and they made him a judge. And it wasn't until after his death or very late in his life that they realized, wait a minute, he wasn't even a free man. He should not have ever been eligible to hold uh, the, the, the office of being a judge. Well, that now throws up the crisis question of, what do we do about all the judgments he handed down? And a quick review by legitimate judges looked through this and said, okay, it was a common error on our part that we didn't know he was qualified, but his judgments were accurate. This is what a judge would have done in that situation. Yeah. He just yeah. took advantage of the situation. So in that case, Roman law supplies for the common error. And anybody who's grown up in the SSPX or close enough, long enough, will have heard the terms Ecclesia Suplet and common error. This is the, mm-hmm. the, the way it was um, explained to me. Is, is, let's say you have a schismatic priest who has no faculties to hear confessions, uh, walks into the, in, into the church, puts on the purple stole and goes into the box and turns the light on. Oh, you're thinking, oh, hey, I, it's been two weeks. Let me go to confession. Right. You walk in, this person who has no faculties, but you don't know it. Here's your confession. He is a priest. Here's your confession. Gives absolution. You walk out. Church supplies jurisdiction in this case because you had no idea this is somebody who should not have been hearing confessions. It's right. a mortal sin for him. But, yes. But it's not for you, and it's still going to be, well, if you know he doesn't have faculties and you go to confession, then that's that's a, a sacrilegious aping of the sacrament there. So entirely different ball of wax. Yes. But let me back up to something else you you talked about, doing something in malice. Let's play a, a, a slight game for a moment. Let's mm. say for a moment that uh, Benedict didn't resign, he died, and Francis was elected. Mm-hmm. No question about mm-hmm. the validity of his election that he's the pope. Could a pope do this? Because it was John Paul II who elevated a lot of people like McCarrick to the to the uh, elevating to the level of cardinals. Well, I mean, the, the in terms of malice, that only comes into the conversation when we're talking about whether or not acts that fall under ecclesia suplet can't are are sanated by the church herself. Um, so. I mean, what what a validly elected pope does is is completely outside of this question. And sadly, I'm afraid the answer is yes. Um, JP two d- dumber than a bag of wet mice in terms of people that he associated with, people that he trusted. And this is if there's one thing I've learned in the last six years since I've started having, you know, interaction with Rome is it's that people there are just so tied up and mixed up with bad company and are, are so extremely reluctant to do anything about it. Just don't want to hear about it. And, you know, if all of this stuff about McCarrick, everyone Everyone knew that McCarrick was a fag and and lived to chase seminarians, lived to chase seminarians. Everyone knew this. Um, Maciel, I mean, he, JP too, how could he have not known? How could he have not known about this, you know, Legion of Christ criminal? the the, the word was swarming around Um, the fact that, you know, Legion priests in Rome, like Thomas Williams were, were fully known to be carrying on. Thomas Williams was referred to in Rome as the horn dog of Rome. I mean, how, how could you not know this? And this is, and this is the guy who is, you know, 
allying with um, with Marianne Glendon to destroy to destroy the lives of any of the whistleblowers who um, came out against against Maciel. The envelopes of money changing hands. Don't don't tell me that JP two didn't know about all this. Of course he knew about all this. Of course they knew. Um, but were these were these things done with malice? Well, first of all, it, like like I just said, it doesn't. That's not what we're talking about here because we're talking about the acts of a vol validly elected pontiff, and in this case, that's not what we're dealing with. And that and that is precisely why Ecclesia Suplet is the question in play. And what's going to be so difficult is then to go through. Um, you know. I have complete hope and somehow, some way, at some point, this is going to resolve. Something's going to happen and this is going to resolve. Now, I'm not putting, I'm not putting any of my, uh, any of my um, bets on, on Cardinal Burke or anybody. I have no idea who it's going to be. Um, it seems to me it's not going to be anybody in the College of Cardinals. It's probably going to be someone that none of us expect, know about anything, who's going to rise up and who's going to be the instigator of the authoritative resolution of this, of this anti-papacy. But when that happens, the thing that's going to have to happen is we are now going to have to go through and we're going to have to look at a lot of these um, cardinalatial appointments of these men and say, wait a minute, a lot of these are being specifically done in malice. He is trying to stack the College of Cardinals with Freemasons, sodomites, clearly sodomites, and then sadly, there's a lot of them. These, these, you know, these men who are basically what would be just the equivalent of a low, 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 low level auxiliary bishop out in some backwater in you know the far east somewhere. There, there have been cardinals that he's elevated that have been all they have been have been bishops over teeny tiny um, territories with only literally a few thousand Catholics. And, you know, no offense to these men and, and God love them and God bless them. They have absolutely no idea what's going on. As you can imagine, most of them are horrifically formed. Uh, there's a lot of just horrible, horrible formation of priests. I mean, and I'm talking about beyond horrible that we see in, you know, what's considered the Christian West. But a lot of these Asian priests that are formed, um, they have they they're they have no idea. They're just clueless about the faith. They're clueless about everything, and some of them have even openly said. Um, yeah, I am completely, totally ill-equipped to be a cardinal prince of the Roman Catholic Church. But, you know, if he's going to give me this hat, then I'll take it. But it, it, he's clearly doing it. He's putting people in place that are, A, um, ideologically Freemasonic and sodomitical, B, blackmailable, totally blackmailable and controllable, or three, the third criterion is just completely, totally uneducated. So they're in no position whatsoever to argue um, against, for example, Amoris Laetitia or any of this. I mean, you take some guy who's from, you know, some 
obscure Indonesian island somewhere or something off the coast of Indonesia. And he's been the bishop over a few thousand people. He's totally unformed, really, totally uneducated. And you expect him to mount um, a response to Amoris Laetitia, where, whereas even even Burke and the other ones can't can't even really do it. I mean, they, they submit the dubia, but then never follow up on it. They write that document. Yeah, great. What, I mean, six years, six years this has been going on, and really not a whole lot substantially has been said against these her heretical, heretical documents. Um, do you think that the guy that he elevates and gives, that Bergoglio gives the red hat to from some backwater off the coast of Indonesia, who was educated maybe, maybe at the Angelicum, but probably even not, probably not even educated in Rome, um, that he's going to, he's going to be able to formulate a theological sound response to this stuff. Of course not. It's like, I, I give you the red hat and you go along with the Morris Letizia and nod your head and be a good boy. And, and that's, that's it. That's the criteria. So the question is, which of these cardinalatial elevations, appointments, whatever you want to call them, which, which of them are malicious and thus invalid? Um, or will it be better to just, what do you do? Uh, one thing that's been then put, been, put forth is that leave leave the cardinals that he has elevated in place but take away voting rights from them i'm but i mean it's it's such a mess it's such an absolute mess and i don't pretend to have instantaneously right now the answers to all this but um it's something that's going to have to be dealt with well a pope can take away the red hat uh -huh. so when sanity is restored that's going to be pretty easy so if, yeah, there, I mean, if there were a valid, okay, I didn't mean to say that word. If, if there were a, <laughs> if there were a proper Orthodox, awesome old style Pope, you know, comes out wearing red shoes and does what Popes are supposed to do. And there's no reason why he can't um, immediately after the coronation mass say, all of y'all who are in the college of Cardinals turning your red hats. Now yep. I'm naming Reboot, a whole new yeah. card. I'm, 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 I'm naming a whole new college of Cardinals. Yep. Reboot it and start with 12. I mean, I think I have said that publicly before. I don't know if I've written it, but maybe we've discussed it on the podcast. He absolutely could reboot and start it with 12. In fact, there have been times when there have been fewer than 12 Cardinals. So yeah, he could just, he could just cl clear the deck, clear everything and start over. If it were me, haha, <laughs> Pope, Pope and the first, um, that's what I would do. Yeah, I would absolutely clean house. Totally. Yes. Well, you would have to be ordained a deacon before you could at least before you could be considered for the papacy. Hell, it, it ain't October yet, but just you wait, baby. <laughs> uh, speaking of cardinals who need to be replaced, apparently Cardinal Pell needs to be replaced, or it looks like he his his conviction was upheld, and now he's appealing to the Australian Supreme Court. Does does he have the opportunity to appeal to the Queen since it is part of the Commonwealth still? Um, I don't know. That's a, that's an actually a good question. And, you know, considering her track record, she won't stand up for hardly anything. Um, can she stand where, up well, anymore? Say again? Can she stand up anymore? Yes. Yep. She's, she's still completely active and she's probably going to live about another 10 years at least judging by how long her mother lived and looking at, at her, she looks fantastic still right now. She looks but awesome for 134. She, yeah. 
<laughs> but she um she did nothing for Alfie Evans where a, a telephone call, one telephone call could have um spared his life and sent him sent him to the hospital in Rome that was waiting waiting with open arms to take him and she couldn't she couldn't be bothered to do that she's sitting and watching as her grandchildren you know just make an absolute mockery of marriage um she doesn't say anything about any of that the only thing you can say that she's done is what she's done within the last what's it been two weeks or so um and she has agreed to that boris johnson has asked for her to um basically suspend the government for six weeks um, so that the the Brexit thing can pass. And she's agreed to do that. That's the most aggressive thing she's done in decades in terms of governance. Um, okay, so the, that $50, is actually, the $50 word there is prorogue. Is that mm -hmm. something that Boris Johnson could do or did he request the queen to do it and she said yes? Because I know the monarch, yeah. I know the monarch can do it. Yeah, he asked her to do it and she said yes, but it's her place to do it, yes. Well, I know that in, in uh, countries like Canada, the governor general who's appointed by the queen can prorogue um, parliament. And that has happened in semi-recent past. Hmm. No, I, I was under the impression that in the UK, that it's only the sovereign that can do it. And she did it. Um, so credit to her for that. However, in terms of Pell, um, I, I actually don't know what his his rights of appeal are in terms of to the crown itself. And I, she, just sitting here making a prediction, she's not going to touch that. She's not going to touch that with a 10 foot pole. Um, but the thing, the thing about Pell, and I think we've talked about Pell before, but what I keep seeing and it's, it's wrong and disturbing is that there's a lot of people out there that are calling him martyr, living saint. He is Cardinal Pell is a holy man. Stop, 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 stop. Cardinal Pell is not a holy man. If you've ever been around him, if you've ever seen him, if you've ever had anything to do with him, I'm sorry, but Cardinal Pell is not a holy man. And I would encourage one and all, go online and watch the Australian 60 Minutes pieces. And you're saying, oh, Anne, no, that's terrible. That's, you know, the, the media. No, it, watch them watch the, the Australian 60 Minutes pieces and watch Pell and watch how he, he lies. He's caught just red-handed lying. Um, and again, reiterating what I was told from the very beginning of my interactions with, with Rome and all of that is, Pell is a sociopath. Do not hitch your cart in any way to Pell. Don't do it. Uh, yeah, he does old mass stuff and he says socially conservative things, but the guy's a sociopath. Stay the hell away from him. And so here, here we sit. Now, the issue with Pell reiterating is that there is no possible way that he was guilty of what he was arraigned and just tried and convicted of. That's the problem here. He was found, quote unquote, guilty in general. Okay, the, the, the people in Australia, Australia is so far gone and the, the judicial system in Australia is so far gone and it's that it slipped into this Soviet kangaroo trial dynamic where they can haul people in, trump up some, some charge, um, 
you know, indict them on that charge and then just find them, find them generally guilty. Everyone knows that there's no possible way that he's guilty of the specific charge that he was indicted for. But they're, they're, how they're all rationalizing it is he's, he's just, he's generally guilty. All of the cover up crap that he did in Ballarat and all of that, he's, he's generally guilty of that. So we got him, we got him in custody, we got a trial going. No, I mean, everybody knows that he's not guilty of, of this, these charges, but you know, he's, he's just generally guilty for, so for the greater good, we're just going to find him guilty. This is one of the most dangerous precedents that you can establish in, in jurisprudence where you just start finding people meh, generally guilty. Um, this is where the rule of law just breaks down because any one of us, I could be arrested, hauled into court, tried for some BS, trumped up, whatever. Not and using you the get proper a, pronouns. Not using the proper pronouns, something like that. Um, or, you know, some absolutely completely impossible thing, you know, Ann Barnhart, you, you did X, Y, Z in this such place on this such date. And, you know, there's proof that I was on the other side of the continent or whatever, when that happened, any, absolutely anything pick or using the wrong damn pronouns, whatever. And you impanel a jury that is ideologically leftist who would look at me, look at my website, look at my, you know, essay about why women's suffrage was the beginning of the end of Western civilization, anything like that. And they would, what they would do under this Pell precedent, if we can call it that, is that they would find me just generally guilty for the good of society. Doesn't matter the evidence, the truth, anything else none of that matters in this sort of in a in an environment like this it's just totally kosher and totally cool for these people in their minds to find people guilty just in general and that's that is what has happened with pell that's a situation stop saying cardinal pell is a living saint and a holy man he is not n o t not. However, he is also not not guilty of these charges that he was convicted on. And that's obvious to anyone, absolutely anyone. And there are people in Australia who hate him, hate the Catholic Church, et cetera, et cetera. But they're still, they're still honest enough to look at this and say, there is absolutely no way that this happened. Not, not this. I mean, maybe some, something else happened, but if you want to convict him of something else ha having happened, then you need to indict him for that, have a trial for that, and find him guilty of that. Not of this nonsense, which is completely concocted. But please stop referring to him as some sort of a martyr, holy man. He isn't. He isn't at all. And that doesn't do anyone any good. In fact, it's ridiculous. It, 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 it actively harms 
um, the cause of the truth when you start doing this and making this stuff up about these people. Because it just makes us look like a bunch of brain dead cultists when you start saying, oh, Cardinal Pell is, is this sainted, holy, living saint. No, 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 no. That's just dumb. Please stop it. By the way, let the record reflect you get two points for earlier referring to it as a kangaroo court. And the more I think about this, the whole principle of being mostly guilty, U.S. jurisprudence inherits from English jurisprudence, Anglo-Saxon jurisprudence, as would Australian, except that our country wasn't founded by convicted criminals. I'm wondering if there is something about the legacy of Australia initially being populated by criminals and, and soldiers if there was some principle because of that initial population where mostly guilty actually made sense. Uh, I think this is, I think this is a cultural innovation. I think that Australia was before every bit as much built upon the foundation of English common law and all of that. I think this is just an innovation and a, and a pure function of our, our society descending into just totalitarianism and embracing the concepts of totalitarianism where one of the first things to go is the judicial system, sadly. Well, if it's only sufficient to be mostly guilty, then it's only a matter of time before you're somewhat guilty and we think it's a legitimate accusation and who cares about the proof? Oh yeah, I mean, you could argue that, that we've, been, we've been inching into that um, for, for decades now. It's just that the, this Pell case is so obviously a manifestation of that. I mean, there's, there's just no way that anyone of any goodwill or honesty on any level can look at the evidence in this particular indictment and say, yes, those events happened and Pell is guilty of what he's charged of. It's physically impossible for that to have happened. And that's kind of, that's the river that we've crossed now, I think. Well, anybody looking at a crucifix can be reminded that uh, trumped up charges will get people killed. Amen. Amen. It's the foundation of it's it's how it's how we're all saved, by the way. Indeed. Indeed. Oh, happy fault. Okay, so that's the commentary on the big general mess in Rome. And it's almost like you a category five hurricane would be like the first step to try to clear the Rome, clear Rome out, which uh, as we are recording this Sunday night, September 1st uh, here in the U.S., uh, there is a gigantic hurricane crossing the Bahamas right now. And one of the comments I saw on Twitter earlier this week, uh, as, as the forecasters were constantly altering their computer models, and I was reading an, an, an article by, or on Ars Technica, I'd, I'd have to look, find, I'd have to find the link again, about why is it that all of the computer models are so off? And it got, it got me to thinking, is like if weather scientists can't figure out five days out on their computer models, why should we mm-hmm. believe them 30 and 50 years out on their climate models? They're all computer models in all cases. So think about well, that. And one. also with the, with the so-called uh, climate change or global warming models, it, it seems like every week there's a story about how the data that's been collected over the years has been completely either maliciously falsified or they did something like establish a thermometer um, like sitting on a blacktop tarmac somewhere where it was guaranteed to be like 10 degrees warmer than, than everywhere else in, in the surrounding area. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's all. You can't bring that up. That's, that's an inconvenient truth. 
<laughs> I see what you did there. Boo. Okay. Um, was it, was it last week or the week before that you had you posted a, uh, a blog post about the SCA, which I, at first I kind of scratched my head. It's not the statistic cu- coupling analysis uh, group. It's not the Sony Corporation of America. I went through a few of these, like what, what could SCA be here? Um, ironically, I was, I was just looking through the list of, of, uh, of the abbreviation on, on Wikipedia. One of them that is actually kind of close is mm-hmm. Sexual Compulsives Anonymous. Ah, ah, mm-hmm. And you know what's interesting about, about the SCA that I was referring to is that it stands for the Society for Creative Anachronism. And, you know, even you look at that and you say, well, what the hell does that mean? You know, you have to look that up too. Uh, but it's the, it's the Renaissance Fair people. It's the medieval reenactor people. And, you know, sadly, this, this came to my attention, oh, three years or so ago. And, um, and it was one of those things that was, it was just on my radar and I was thinking about it and thinking, man, I mean, this, this has infected Tratty land. I've seen it. Um, maybe I should say something, but I just kept waiting and waiting and put it off. But it, it got to the point where I'd received enough anecdotes from people about, you know, just confirming this, that it wasn't just, it wasn't just the fact that the, these medieval reenactor people in one of their chapters, you know, on the, on the West coast or whatever was engaging in. And the point of all this is that the, what's ubiquitous in the society for creative anachronism is um, basically orgies. That's, that's the, during the day, they do their medieval reenactment stuff, and some of them actually do learn, uh, like, blacksmithing and, and, and things like that, and the women make clothes, and ha- that's great. I mean, you can't argue with that. That's fantastic. The problem is, is that this, this organization was founded by sex perverts, pedophiles, child molesters, and the the point of it, basically, is that in the evening, after they've, you know put the kids to bed. And a lot of this goes on with children present in the camp um, that these people are swingers and they have, they have orgies. And so I heard enough about this and people were saying, you, you should, you should write something about this and just get it out there and warn people. And whoo boy, I posted that and it went super viral on Facebook and it was syndicated by several much larger websites than me and praise, thanks be to God, praise God that now, you know, this has gotten out there. And what's interesting, all of my email, almost all of the email that I got, and I got a lot of angry emails from these SCA creeps, absolutely unbelievable all but one of them basically admitted that everything I had written about, all the stuff about you know swinging and and orgies and all that, that's all they all admitted that it was true. But what was their mantra? What did they keep saying? But it's all consensual. But it's all consensual. But it's all co- as if that makes it okay. And I just found it so interesting that isn't that an interesting? Uh, testimony. And here we have it, you know, proof positive in in our lap, so to speak. Um, Here are these people proving that the Freemasonic agenda and what anti-Pope Bergoglio was pushing, 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 pushing is this whole notion that the, the conscience of man and that man himself 
is the standard of truth, is the arbiter of morality. There is no objective morality. There is only subjective morality that is determined by the individual themselves. And you look at this SCA example with all these people coming back and saying, you dirty, rotten, horrible name, witch, ba-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, how dare you, everything you said is lies. Well, of course, yeah, we all we all have sex with each other in the evenings, but it's all consensual. So it's it's all totally fine. And like the only the only email I got, and all it did was call me names, but it it didn't it didn't admit that this was true. <laughs> I posted the uh, the avatar of the of the email account that it came from. It's a it's a pentagram, and it's called something pagan something. So you've got you've got an openly admitting um, pag- pagan slash devil worshiper because that's what a pentagram signifies. Um, that that's the only one that didn't explicitly state that everything I had written about was true, but it it conceded it just by the fact that the person has a pentagram as their avatar on their email handle, which is pagan something or other. So I mean, there you go. But it, it was it was really interesting and um, just kicked up. It's still, I mean, I look at my stats and I, I look at where my referrals are coming from and it's still matriculating its way through the internet, through Facebook and so forth. And all I can say is I hope that, I hope that now more trads out there are aware of this. The word has gotten out and, and hopefully if these people show up in trad parishes, God forbid, or what the other anecdotes that I've heard from people about this Society for Creative Anachronism is that they've they've been um, approached at work. They've been, you know, people at work have tried to get them to come and and come to these events. And the people that I've heard from and you know have received these anecdotes are saying things like, "Look, these people they weren't even they're not even trying to be coy about it. They explicitly told us that." oh yeah, it's great fun. We do this and such during the day and we play with swords, fake swords and do fake sword fighting. And then at night we just all lay around and bleep. And I mean, that's how it's marked. That's how they're marketing it in the secular world is that you play with swords and do medieval stuff during the day. And then you just have a ginormous orgy at night and it's really fun. And that's what we do. And it's, it's so incredibly sad. So Um, And then the, you know, the other thing is that they they are trying to get young people, young people who are, um, you know, estranged from their parents, etc. People who who don't have strong family connections, going after nerds and people who feel like they're socially isolated. Um, Yeah, one of the very sad emails I got was from a a couple, in fact, just said, we're just we joined this and then just became completely cut off from the rest of the world. And yeah, I've heard that from other people that, that, that it sucks you in and then you're just made to dedicate your entire life to it. Um, the SCA then becomes your quote unquote family. And it's, it's, it's horrific. It's, they try to get it so that you just, you, emotionally can't walk away from it because you'd be walking away from every social connection, absolutely everything. And so one of the things, and I'll I'll write this up this coming week because it's, it's a relatively short little post, but I'll say it here on the podcast too. The, um, 
the advice that I have for people who are caught up in something like SCA or maybe like it, caught up in the Legion of Christ and Regnum Christi and you just feel like you can't walk away from this because you'll be walking away from absolutely every relationship you have in your life. All of your friends, you have to walk away from all your friends. My advice to, to people in that situation in particular, but also to everyone, this is just good advice, I think, is um, pray every day for your friends that you haven't met yet. Pray for your friends that you haven't met yet. Because think about it. You almost certainly, almost certainly, 99.9999999% of the people on this planet have friends that they just simply haven't met yet. That is going to happen at some point in the future. So one thing you can do, it seems to me, is pray for them now. Pray for your friends that you haven't met yet. And this kind of is a similar concept to, um, and we've talked about this before, children, I think, should be encouraged to pray for their future spouse because that person is out there somewhere. And th those people, your friends that you haven't met yet, they're out there somewhere. Have you ever met you know, a new friend and then thought to yourself, man, all these years, this person was out there in the world and wouldn't it wouldn't have been cool if I had known this person 10, 15, 20 years ago. They were alive the whole time. And, you know, they're a lot your friends that you haven't met yet. They're alive right now. They're out there somewhere. Well, you can't you're not limited. Um, you can you can have charity and you can pray for them, even though you haven't made their acquaintance yet. Time is not the constrictor that we all make it out to be. I mean, obviously, it's very easy for us being human beings living in linear time to, you know, you know, do we do feel like we are constrained by linear time completely in that sense. But one of the things that you learn when you become when you become Catholic and you learn the theology specifically of the mass and so forth and of the communion of saints is that time is not is not the limiting factor that we think it is and it's certainly no limiting factor for god obviously he exists outside of it um and so yeah we can pray for our friends that we haven't met yet and so it seems to me that that's one thing that people who are stuck in a situation like they've fallen into a, a cult like the sca and they feel like if they leave they'll be friendless well how about this? Start praying for your friends that you haven't met yet. And um, it gives you it gives you that hope and gives you kind of a, in a sense, a concrete connection to the fact that there are other people out there and that you're not completely limited to this immediate sphere of people that you've been tangled up with, unfortunately, and that you can walk away from bad company. You can walk away from bad company and there are, there are times in your life when you must walk away from bad company. It's right there in the <laughs> prayers before and after confession. You're begging God to help you get liberated from bad company that have brought me to this sorry state. And I'm, boy, there's nothing it seems to me that's that could possibly be much worse than getting caught up in some damn sex cult like the SCA. So, yeah, it, it's okay. Start praying for your friends you haven't met yet and take those steps and get away from those groups. You can do it.
Yeah, take it seriously when you pray the Our Father. Lead us not into temptation. And don't allow me to do something stupid to end up in temptation. And I've, I've used a different variation of this in the past, but imagine a table for six that you're going to be spending eternity either in heaven or in hell, but nobody goes to heaven alone or to hell alone. It's always, it's always a group effort. So yeah. you, you, I've, I've heard it said you are the average of your five closest friends. Um, pick wisely. And if, if that's a scary thought when you think about it, make new friends. That's right. Absolutely. Amen. If you look around and you realize, oh, this this situation, my, my table, so to speak, my proverbial table is not a quality group of individuals, you need to take steps to remedy that quickly. Because, you know, we just, we don't know how long we have. We don't, you, you can't just say, well, I'll put this off and I'll put this off. No, you need to take steps immediately to fix your proverbial table. Amen. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you could always ask a priest too. I mean, priests are asked by single people who are having trouble finding a spouse. Hey, do you know somebody who would be an, an eligible partner or a possible partner? I don't know how often they're asked, hey, I need a new set of friends. Who can you recommend? But they go ask a serious priest and they probably would know. It, they'd probably be delighted to help you out. Yeah, they could probably at least make suggestions of ways that you can, you can attempt to start socializing outside of a certain clique that you're in. Yeah, there's, and, you know, there's, there's no harm in trying. And if, if you get advice from the priest that doesn't sound right to you and it sends up red flags and this this caveat has to be made sadly in this day and age well then you know trust trust your red flags and all of that that's another thing trust your red flags um all of the sca people i mean i think if you sat all of these people down who genuinely want to get out of it or wanted to get out of it and say Listen, were there any red flags that went up for you with any of this, you know, before you descended into a life of, you know, weekly orgies? I think every single one of them would say, well, hell yes, there were red flags, but, oh, I wanted to do it. And, you know, you know how it is. You know, I I like playing with swords and then I, we fell into the thing and, you know, it was fun. We thought it was fun at the beginning, blah, blah, blah. There are always red flags, almost always red flags. Hardly ever do these things just, you know, pop out of nowhere. Um, and so, yes, on honor all of that. Trust your trust your gaydar. Honor your red flags. All of that stuff. Trust your gut in 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 simple terms. And don't be afraid to be excommunicated from a bad group of friends. I mean, if, exactly. they're, if they're not looking looking out for your your sanctification, um, it's charity for them to exclude you. Ooh, spe speaking of well, excommunication, well yes, <laughs> do you you I, I don't even I don't remember the full context of this. It was just in my notes about excommunication. I guess you were threatened with that, or what? Oh, somebody somebody um, somebody sent me a thing. Some talking head on Twitter was you know talking very casually and openly. One of the um, neoconservatives, I think, is not a person I'd ever heard of. In fact, it might have only just been a twiddle, uh, a Twitter handle. I can't even remember, but um, openly discussing how I should be excommunicated and for, um, you know, speaking out against, quote unquote, Pope Francis and all of that. Well, <laughs> we laugh. We laugh very hard. Um, just but it's coming to this. It's absolutely going to come to this where 
you know, if you if you ask any questions, if you dare say anything against anti-Pope Bergoglio, that they're going to start talking about threatening and even it'll eventually come to it where they attempt to, they're not, of course, it's not going to be valid in any way, but they're going to start attempting to excommunicate people based upon this. And you just, you guys out there, you, you need to start preparing for this. And, it, and it's going, it's not just going to be, um, you know, people like me, for example, who are actively trying to spread the word and educate people about the fact that, you know, he's not the Pope. He never has been. It isn't going to even be that it's going to be anyone who criticizes him at all eventually. Um, but just start thinking about this now and think about the silliness of it. Think about how um, it's you can't you cannot be in schism by holding the Catholic faith whole and entire and being completely and totally loyal to the papacy in say the papacy itself. OK, and that the papacy itself is the standard of unity. It is it is the. It is the canonical. It, in fact, is the canonical standard of schism. And if you if you want to look at well, what is then this this word is being thrown around a lot too, um, and we are being accused of being schismatic. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. Who are schismatics? Eastern Orthodox. Why? Why are they schismatic? Because they deny the papacy in and of itself. They deny the 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 headship of the Roman pontiff, okay? So Eastern Orthodox, by definition, in schism. All Protestants, obviously, by definition, in schism. Schismatics, why? Because they deny the headship of Peter. That is what schism is. Well, they okay? also deny the headship of Peter, but in the case of Protestants, wouldn't they be apostates? Don't you have to at least be nominally Catholic, truly Christian or Catholic to qualify to be a schismatic? Well, as I understand it, the definition of apostasy is that you deny the divinity of Christ and you deny the need for Christ and his church in any definition of that to be necessary for salvation. It's completely and totally denying the whole kit and caboodle. Um, whereas everything else, most everything else falls under uh, the category of heresy. Um, apostasy is no God, no church, no necessity for Christ to be saved, nothing. So that is total apostasy. So like, for example, um, Ivanka Trump, when she converted to Judaism in order to marry Jared Kushner, who, and they're like, quote unquote, practicing Talmudic Jews, um, that was an act of apostasy because you are, you are completely denying our Lord, his divinity, his holy church, and the necessity for, you know, the necessity for him in order to be saved. And, you know, that's literally, that's really scary because she signed a document saying that. I mean, that's, that's, that's hard to argue with, you know. And so that's why we had masses said for Ivanka, um, the, the, I think she has three children with Kushner and Kushner, all of them. Um, to get her reverted and him converted and the children converted, because obviously the children aren't baptized, but she is. Um, 
And so I think that's, that's the difference. I don't think, I don't think it is, it is canonically precise to say that Protestants are apostates, they're heretics and they're schismatics, but they still, they still confess the divinity of Christ and the necessity of Christ for salvation and they baptize and so forth. So I don't think that that's canonically precise, but if anyone out there in the listenership wants to correct either of us on that, please do. Um, so I'll put links in the show notes uh, okay. from the Catholic encyclopedia on the, on those three terms. Okay. And I was, I was about to make a tongue in cheek comment, but my not knowing those distinctions is like me not knowing the different variations of the South Vietnamese foot and mouth uh, diseases. I'm not going there. So it doesn't matter to me. But <laughs> I, I, that's not entirely true. I mean, in, anybody can fall into heresy um, and probably any error, really. Just yeah, oh yeah. If, if you deny the, the grace of God and and uh, or, or think too highly of your own your own ability to to uh, fight temptations, if you sin against pride, you you can yeah. easily sin against faith. Sure, sin, and I, I think sin by pride, I should say. Yes, and it's um, it's sad, but there are people out there who are. Oh, it's it's sad to see people in the even in Tratty Land who are so scandalized by anti Pope Bergoglio and refuse to even refuse to even consider the fact that maybe their base premises is, is false, that they are in fact behind closed doors, and I've been, you know, reliably informed of this. They're talking about um apostasy that if if this and such happens then that's it i'll know that that it's all been a lie and i mean this is these are people big names in tratty land people who are you know fundraising holding themselves out it's just it's it's bad and the reason why it's so important is because when when and if they go um they are going to scandalize so many people and so many people are going to be so um, crestfallen to see this that they will follow them in. And so this question of schism is especially important that you understand what it is now um, because it eventually you can anticipate that if you don't go along with the Bergolian anti-church and this Freemasonic agenda, and this stuff is accelerating fast as as I'm sure everyone out there in the listenership completely sees and realizes that it's they're going to accuse you. Okay, there are there are already people calling for me to be excommunicated. Um, but then my my question is, excommunicated from what? From the anti-church? And we've talked about this a couple of podcasts ago. Man, sign me up. Where's the line? I I seriously, I am not joking. I want a piece of paper signed by Bergoglio that says that I am excommunicated from whatever whatever Freemasonic monstrosity that he is the head of. Yes, absolutely. I will frame it. I will hang it on my wall. Does this mean that I can't receive Holy Communion at, at a valid mass? Of course not. I'm not that that won't excommunicate me from Holy Mother Church. Of course not. He has no authority to do that. And you cannot excommunicate someone from the one holy Catholic and apostolic church for holding the Catholic faith whole and entire and being 100 percent loyal to the papacy. And as it is right now, the pope who is Pope Benedict Ratzinger. 
that you can't, I can't be excommunicated for that. that. That's crazy. It's completely illogical. The only thing that I would be excommunicated from is the anti-church and the, the anti-church has no communion. It, it doesn't, it, you know, it, it has no communion by definition. It is, it is a, an anti-communion, if you will. I don't, I want to be quote unquote excommunicated from that group. Yes, but put it in my coffin with me so I can present it to our Lord at my particular judgment. Here you go. <laughs> There's the old saying, if you, if you were ever accused of being a Christian, would you have any proof? Well, that would be some pretty awesome proof. And if, in fact, it turns out that Antipope Bergoglio is, in fact, the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist, well, good grief. How much better does it get than that to have an actual document saying you are excommunicated from the anti-church that was erected by the false prophet foreigner of the Antichrist. I mean, seriously, how much better can you do in earthly terms than that? That's that's pretty cool. So, But start thinking about this because they are going to come after us. And it's precisely because they are the schismatics, because they are the ones who are tearing down the papacy, destroying the papacy, destroying Holy Mother Church, putting people in a position into, into this false conundrum of either you assent to our obvious lies, which like Amoris Laetitia, either you assent to the obvious, obvious lies that are 100% incompatible with the Catholic faith and the truth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the divine law and all and the natural law and everything else, either you assent to that or you're out, you're out of the church. Well, stop and think about it logically. Again, this is, this is the problem with people unable to think in logical succession and, and they can't go forward. So they can't, they can't draw sound corollaries. They also can't walk things backward. Wait a minute. If somebody who clearly isn't Catholic is clearly an arch heretic is clearly erecting an anti-church comes to me and says, you, if you're not in union with me and my lies, then you're not in union with God either. I mean, seriously, how much of a false base premise can that possibly be anymore? I mean, that that's the biggest false premise there is. This, this false choice that you have to make between if you want to be in the church, you have to assent to these lies, or, and if you don't assent to the lies and you're not in the church. Oh, come on. That's that's absolutely ridiculous. And if you just think about it logically, you can see that the base premise is false. Something is terribly wrong. Well, yeah, it's an anti-church. Anti-church, anti-pope, maybe false prophet foreigner of the Antichrist. You can't, you can't be excommunicated. Is it going to get to the point where is there probably going to be some sort of an interstitial period where maybe people like me um, will be told, it, it would be better if you not receive Holy Communion publicly. We'll just do it in private. Well, I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that. And I have no problem making spiritual communions. We've talked about spiritual communions recently. Get used to that. Get used to that. You don't have to receive. You do not have to receive sacramentally when you go to Mass. Get your head around that. And there's, there's probably going to be a, a point when we're not going to be able to receive sacramentally at Mass for whatever reason. Get your head around it. You're not the center of the universe. Make a spiritual communion. And 
you know, make, make connections and make arrangements and be in communication with good solid priests who will give you communion outside of mass, maybe in the sacristy or something like that. It's not, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. If in this political intrigue, if we are oppressed and, um, unjustly fake excommunicated, um, and we just have to make spiritual communions and receive receive privately in the sacristy quietly for a period of time. I, I mean, come on. People have suffered a hell of a lot more than that for a long, long time. Um, people have obviously been tortured horrifically and murdered. Do you, are, are we really going to sit around and whine because I, I can't receive sacramentally Every single time I go to mass, perhaps if it gets to that point, well, come on, you know, suck it up and and get ready and prepare for this and get your head around it. But understand if you understand that you cannot be excommunicated. This is the point. You cannot be excommunicated for holding the Catholic faith whole and entire and being 100% loyal to the papacy. You're not a, an Eastern Orthodox who's denying the papacy. Oh, I know other people who are doing that all day, every day on the internet, who are calling themselves trads, who are who continue to raise money off of this, whose main priority in life, it seems to me at this point, is to denigrate the papacy itself, not not Bergoglio, but the papacy itself. Hello, wrong, no. No, there's there's no problem with the papacy. The problem is with the fact that we have an anti-pope and a, an unsound, clearly an unsound pope, Pope Benedict, who's ma made such a massive mistake that he's now clearly earned the title of worst pope ever for what he's done. Okay, that's the problem. The problem is not with the papacy in and of itself. The papacy in and of itself is a gift from God and we are going to need barring I'm like full blown supernatural intervention, barring St. Peter and the Paul in the sky with flaming swords. That's the level of supernatural inter intervention that we're talking about here. Barring that it is precisely the authority of the papacy that we are, that Holy Mother Church is going to require in order to fix this. Okay, you're not going to fix this democratically. You have to have the the authority of this this um, king king. Um, help me with the word kingship regency. Um, the, I was the thinking name, of something entirely different. The, the political name for um, monarchy. You you have to have this absolute monarchy in order to. Um, in order to fix this situation. And what we have is we have trads all day, every day, in order to justify their Francis's Pope position, attacking, attacking, attacking the very, the very essence of the papacy as the absolute monarchy that it is, the supernaturally protected absolute monarchy that it is. Don't do that. And, you know, it's it's not us who are who are sitting here saying pray for the pope pray for the papacy we have to get this right you have to be calling the greatest act of of violence that can be done against the papacy is to call a man who is not peter peter 
all of this is now coming to a head because as we're accused of being schismatics, you, you have to be able to, to think this through logically and clearly see and understand, well, first, what is the definition of schism and am I in it? Well, obviously not. Hold the Catholic faith whole and entire and am in 100% union with the papacy as it has been, as it was established by Christ and continues to this day. So nope, there's no possible way that I'm in schism and any excommunication that would come down would be something that I would immediately take off and proudly have framed, hang on my wall and consider a badge of honor to be excommunicated from the anti-church. Yeah, except for the time being, the anti-church and the true church are in the same juridical space. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's what makes things awkward, certainly, and why we had the discussion about you might for a period of time be asked uh, to not receive Holy Communion publicly or something like that. Well, that that's an incredibly small price to pay. And we should anticipate that it's going to go beyond that, that it's going to go to to outright torture and execution at some point. Uh, because if if the people before us, if they went through all of that, how could we possibly expect that we're not eventually going to go through that too? Who exactly is going to be hunting down individual Catholics, though? I, I suspect that when things make a turn for the worse significantly, that it's going to be a simple matter of Rome issuing the order that the the old mass is forbidden. Mm -hmm. And there will be individuals and groups of priests who obey an order that they shouldn't. And then there will be entire, well, Society of St. Pius X is going to do what they always do. And of course, mm -hmm. the set of Vicantus do their own thing as well. But I'm curious if, if the biggest damage to be done against traditional Catholicism isn't going to be from illicit obedience. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, and it will be... I mean, it worked in 1970. Yeah. It will be our own. We will be... You can expect that it will be, quote unquote, our own who are turning on us and turning in. I've been told reliably that there have been people um, who've been talking about trying to contact traditional orders and have me banned from attending mass you know, contacting the, the various trad groups and saying, look, if this, if this Ann Barnhart person shows up in your parish or if she's in your parish, you need to, you need to get her out of there and you need to forbid her from attending mass. And, you know, again, I laugh, I laugh, but, um, <laughs> well, I'll, 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 I'm self-censoring here for a moment. Um, but it's gonna, it's gonna be, expect that it's going to be our own. It's going to be people who are saying, stop rocking the boat, keep your mouth shut. Um, if you, if we all just keep our heads down, the alligator will eat us last. That's clearly what's going on. Um, all of your, all of your ranting and raving is, is, you know, making people upset and making people worried and you, you can't, you can't do this. And it's going, it's going to be from amongst the ranks of our own. I suspect that anyone who dares, um, speak out against Santa, but why do you think no one's speaking out against him now? Why do you think it's just this, it's just this deafening silence that keeps coming down? Because not everybody is morally certain that he's not the Pope. But I mean, even just speaking out against things like Amoris Laetitia and the massive sodomitical corruption, all of this stuff, you you would think that people would be absolutely 
up in arms and they're not because they're all terrified. They're terrified of exactly what you just alluded to of, you know, having, and I mean, we all know who we're talking about here. We're talking about the FSSP, the Institute of Christ, the King, um, um, the SSPX to a lesser extent, but the the fraternity and the institute are the two big ones. Well, I was going to say any priest saying the Latin Mass who has an actual celebrate issued by the local bishop, which is zero SSPX priest as far as I know. That's why they couldn't care less what the order is coming down. Right, right. But it's the the ones who are no. How do you phrase it? Uh, who are in full 100% communion with Rome, who are Ecclesia Dei communities, they're absolutely terrified that if they say anything, that he's going to destroy them like he's destroyed the FFI and countless other traditional orders. I mean, the the body count now of the number of orders that Bergoglio has destroyed is just it's through the roof if you and you know a lot of americans i think aren't aware of it but the crap that he's doing and what's gone on in europe he is absolutely ruthlessly going after anything anything even remotely traditional um and they're just all terrified that he's going to come after them and that he's going to like you just said um abrogate the old mass uh, attempt to abrogate the old mass of course he can't do that but you know what i mean um what do the religious over in europe do when they get abrogated I, it, because one of my thoughts was, okay, so the priests who are, who have their celebrates issued by, or their, their permission issued by the local bishop, if they are under orders to stop saying the old mass and go undergo training to say the new mass and only say that going forward, I would imagine a non-zero number of these are going to say no, and for lack of a better term, go into private practice, which is going to be an end state, which isn't very good. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling we're going to have a whole bunch of like onesie twosie independent priests all over the place. Yes. And I'm, I can, there's not a blanket answer to that, but from my understanding, like for example, the Franciscan fires of the immaculate, um, the Italian bishops specifically were told were given an order. Do not take any FFI priests in to your diocese don't incarnate them into your diocese. And if you do, we will come down on you like a ton of bricks. Your career will be over. We'll remove you and your career will be over. And so I think, I don't know, I honestly don't know where a lot of those guys are. The ones who are not ordained, the ones who are just, who are just um, brothers, I think a lot of them have just walked away and are laymen and are uh, hopefully are biding their time, but are, a lot of them are now living as laymen. Um, the priests, I, I don't know. And I think that a non-trivial number of them, sadly, have been so scandalized that they've lost their faith too, um, which is incredibly sad. And again, it could all be it could all be healed and rectified and explained if you just sat down and said, look, he's not the Pope. He never was the Pope. This is all absolute nonsense. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's important for me to do what I'm doing and continue this work because truth is the antidote to scandal. If you have the information and you have the truth and you know what's going on, then like there's nothing that anti-Pope Bergoglio can do that would shake my faith because I understand what this, because I know what the situation is. Um, that's the problem is this absolute intransi intransigent insistence that, that FIP Francis is Pope 
what that leads to is it does lead to scandal because it's a false based premise and you cannot reconcile, you cannot reconcile FIP, Francis's Pope, to the words of our Lord and Savior. And so people are just having their faith shaken, um, losing their faith, talking about apostatizing. And that reminds me, who is the quote? Is it Francis de Sales? I believe it's St. Francis de Sales who said that one who commits scandal is a murderer, but one who permits themselves to be scandalized commits suicide. And that's so true. It's so true. If you're being scandalized by anti-Pope Bergoglio at the end of the day, it actually is going to be on you. You're, you're going to have to answer for that. It, it's going to be a mitigating circumstance for some people, certainly. But for a lot of people at their particular judgment, it's it's going to be you you have a degree of culpability in this because it should have been clear to you that something was wrong, that just something was wrong in general. Um, and so getting people as much information as possible and continuing to pound this drum, if, if there's anyone who can be spared that scandal and say, oh, I see what's going on. This makes sense. I think we're morally obliged to continue to do that. I, I, I feel that I am personally anyway. There's also the position that you can be confused as to what's going on and not take scandal. I have no idea how this is happening at the supernatural level. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to try to make this a polemic in saying this, but I believe Pope Francis is the, is the, is the Pope. I don't know how the heck this works. And, and, and I've said more than once that Francis has done more to make me consider the Sedificantus position than anything the Sedes have ever said until I think about that statement and say, okay, well, that, that, that doesn't work either. I don't know. I really don't know how this works, but I do know what the Catholic faith is because you just open the books and, and, and read them. The Catholic faith can't change. And if somebody dressed in white says the Catholic faith is now different, he's wrong. And I don't, that's all I can say for sure. I, I don't know about all the, the details that follow from that. Somebody in a Roman collar is going to have to answer this question. But until then, I, 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 oh, no. I said a Roman that, collar, not a white cassock. Oh, even even the Roman collar, thing, or or um, the other one that is kind of germane to to recent posts and goings on is someone with a degree in theology or someone with a degree in canon law, and you just oh you, the the blood drains out of your face, and you say oh no that that tempts one to despair. But you know, oh, in, a, well, in a funny well, way. This, our, our disagreement on this point reminds me of the perennial accusations back and forth between the Fraternity of St. Peter and the Society of St. Pius X, where uh, the SSPX said the, the fraternity is compromised. They don't call out the constant errors of Rome, this, that, and another thing. And the, the poor fraternity priests are doing everything they can just to educate the people who are coming uh, to their parishes, many of whom, almost all of them, uh, are refugees from the Novus Ordo and don't even know right. the faith because they yeah. were contraeducated or not educated at all. And it, it's it's funny to see both sides of it. Uh, it's not like the Society of Saint Pius X really lost anybody to the to the fraternity. Um, some of us go back and forth constantly, but that's a, a separate matter entirely. From my point of view, I I look at I, I hear what you're saying, and I definitely am open to being convinced. But it's not my highest priority right now. I've got kids to raise in the faith and make sure that they are good Catholics when they get out into the world. You've got the freedom to to go after these these topics that I don't right now. And maybe Indeed. if I didn't have a wife and a family to raise, I'd be right there with you trying mm -hmm. to figure this out and saying, this is my moral imperative and, and I'm going to get to the bottom of it. But 
right oh, now I've got I've point. got more concrete jobs. I mean, I'm I'm not going to I'm I'm I don't think I'm going to be um I don't think my my salvation is going to hinge on whether or not I have the correct answer of which bishop in white is the right one to call pope. I it, it, for me it's going to be were your kids actually Catholic when they went on the world on their own? Did they stand up for me? Did you train them sufficiently? Well, the the worry I have that's that's actually a really good point about you know our our vocations and our our states in life and who has who's called to do what and who has the ability to do what. That's that's a really excellent point. Um, but obviously, the thing that I worry about is will it be something that happens at this damn Amazon? monstrosity that's going to happen at some point there's going to be some line in the sand it seems to me where it's going to be it's going to be absolutely impossible that that satan is going to push it to the point where people have to start making public acts of apostasy basically you know you you either pick is it is it Bergoglio and his Freemasonic anti-church, or is it the one true church? And at that, it, Satan is going to push it to the point where everyone has to make a choice. Um, um, it's in, I think it's in Satan's best interest now to leave the question nebulous and open so that you know, the, the edifice of the anti-church can be constructed and they can continue to push forward without any real push back their agenda. Um, but the, the notion that Satan is ever going to back off or that this is just going to organically self-resolve, that is, I don't think that's the case. It will eventually be pushed. And I think I'm very confident that it will be in our lifetimes that it will be pushed to the point where you are absolutely forced to either apostatize or, um, you know, obviously choose Christ and his holy church, which will mean being quote unquote excommunicated from the anti-church. So that's, that's what we worry about is when we get to that point, um, what are people going to do? So, and what is that going to look like? We can't know because we've, no one's ever been through anything like this before. That reminds me to a certain extent of uh, something one of the priests said when I was going through St. Mary's Academy as a high school student, as just making an example of how how can you tell just some egregious example? How how would you be able to know that the Pope isn't the Pope? And the example he gave was canonizing Martin Luther. If the Pope did that, he's not the Pope. I don't know what the exact equivalent would be in the in, for this. I mean, if if the Amazon Synod stuff is for all intents and purposes canonized, and it, some new catechism comes out saying this is the Catholic Church now, mm-hmm. okay, that's not the Church. Are they going to uh, go Thomas More style and say everyone has to sign off on this down to the pew level and, and and you can't present yourself for the sacraments if you don't agree with what came out of the Amazon Synod? That'd be very unprecedented. And if it came down to that, okay, um, I guess we're going to have to find uh, some place to go to mass where the priest isn't going to doesn't agree with this Catholic. either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. So just. But it's something we all need to be thinking about, and whether whether you like it or not, my dear friend, super nerd, you're you're obviously intellectually engaged in this just because of the the your generous generous donation of your time and effort in terms of 
doing my web hosting and doing this podcast, you're obviously intellectually engaged in the question. But um, I really do appreciate your point about people's states in life and who has the who has the ability and the the freedom to do various and sundry things. And you're right; you have you have to work your normal secular day job. 50 hours a week or whatever it is. And then, you know, you have a, a family at home waiting for you that you have to be there and present for. And I don't have any of those things. So I do have the the freedom of state and life to be able to do what I'm doing. But again, thank you for, thank you for everything. You Thank you for, and to your wife also, and to your kids for sacrificing your time to do all of this that you do for me. I'm, you know how grateful I am. And I just want to reiterate. That. That's why we record late at night or later at night. Cause they can all be in bed or at least the, the ones who, who uh, can't keep, keep quiet. They are already in bed. So, <laughs> and I, and I take little strategies like like uh, taking them on what I call a park tour. I think we went to six different parks today and they play for half an hour at each one and, and, oh, and nice. in, intentionally skip their nap so that by, by, the time <laughs> it, it's, by the time, by the time it gets to be evening and it's time to record a podcast, they are beyond trying to stay awake. So I remember um, being years and years and years ago at, at a family gathering with lots of, you know, a family reunion type thing, lots and lots of extended second, third cousins, all of these people, lots of little kids running around and the parents, they would, they would get the kids, you know, the, the four five, six, seven year old kids, um, you know, someone would get out a stopwatch and they would start having these kids run timed, um, run down, touch that tree and run back and I'll time you, which, you know, as a kid, that's, that's fun, you know, running, running foot races like that and running against a clock. But the parents were just totally doing it to get the kids just completely exhausted so that they would, they would all be asleep for what the ride home or whatever it would be. But yes, that it reminds me of that. The intentional okay, let's, let's go run your little feet off and then, and then you'll all fall over and, and sleep 10 hours tonight as we, as we're going home or you'll go straight to bed as soon as we get home. So well done. Well done. But Hey, taking your kids to, to parks all day long, you went to six parks today. Well, I map it out. Actually, no, I didn't map it out in advance. I, I, I the first one I had in mind where we we're going and then it's just a matter of pull up Apple maps. It's like, which, which, little green splotches closest next and unfortunately <laughs> it was going to be eight but two of them weren't really public parks so it's like oh sorry kids these weren't really parks let's go to the one i actually know is a park now wow and did they all have um did they all have um swing sets and jungle gyms and that kind of thing? well they, nobody has jungle gyms anymore no, they, they do it's just that they have the uh, this artificial turf substance that that's got foam under it so if you fall from you know for anywhere from four to 20 feet it's it's pretty soft unless you fall right on your head you're probably not going to get that hurt yeah i'm sure there there is there is a little element of danger there and of course my youngest will find it immediately so <laughs> man i remember the the elementary school that i went to when i was in kindergarten and first grade they still had the jungle gym up and that thing was with a concrete base on a concrete slab and we just climbed all over that thing all day every day at recess and nobody ever i don't remember anyone ever falling off of it or really getting hurt at all and the swing sets huge enormous tall swing sets and i remember there was this one kid when i was in kindergarten it was the it was you know it was the little black kid in the class and um 
he he could he had the tremendous upper body strength and he could he could climb all the way up to the top of this swing set and hang from the top of it and i look back at that i i, I the teach and the teachers would stand there and see the kids climbing how tall must have that have been that must have been what would that be ten, at least 10 feet tall and maybe maybe taller and we just climb all over that stuff on complete concrete slabs and nothing nothing ever happened nobody ever really got grievously injured i don't i don't remember kids ever no one ever broke a broken arm or broke a limb when i was in school on the playground and yeah now today and then the playground wasn't um like memorial named for a former student no, no. <laughs> and here, here died so-and-so. No, 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 it was, nope. And I think, again, I always ask kids whenever, whenever I get the chance to talk to them, do you have recess? And a lot of them say, just say, no, we don't even have recess anymore. We don't go outside and run around. And that's, they have that's to put scary. on protective helmets just to look out the window now. Yeah. Right. Right. No, we just sit in and, you know, play on our iPads or whatever. Like, wow. Wow. That explains a lot. We're at a minute or a minute, an hour 24, but I do want to get to this bullet point about going to confession during mass. Oh yeah. Um, people are, I get a non-trivial number of emails from people that are scandalized sometimes because they go to a, an old mass, a trad mass parish. And during the mass, there's a priest in the box hearing confessions and people are going to confession during mass. And there are some people who are just like, oh, that's terrible. No, guys, no, that is not terrible. That is totally how it should be. There should be multiple priests in multiple boxes during the mass. And yes, absolutely avail yourself of the confessional even during mass. And, you know, there are people, I see it all the time in a, you know, in a larger parish with, um, you know, a big high Sunday mass that the confessions will be going on even during the consecration. There's nothing wrong with that, guys. Don't be scandalized by that. The, the sacrament of confession, I mean, if, if the penitent is confessing mortal sin, understands what, what is happening there, a person who is dead is being brought back to life. That, that needs to happen. That absolutely needs to happen. And it's no problem that it goes on during the mass. Just wanted to make that quick point. If you have anything to add to that, super nerd, please do. Well, why do you think Christ died on the cross? It's to bring sinners back to the church, back to life, and to bring us to heaven. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've heard multiple priests say, and of course, these are priests quoting uh, saints. I just don't remember off the top of my head who they are. That maybe it's Thomas Aquinas, uh, that, that when a, a soul, when somebody in mortal sin goes to confession and receives absolution, that that uh, moral miracle is more significant than the material creation of the universe. Yeah. Wow. That puts it into, into perspective. So don't, and the other thing to remember is, is that it, what you are doing out in the nave, outside of the sanctuary, does not have any bearing upon what's going on in the sanctuary. Meaning, 
your presence as a layperson is not required in order for the holy and august sacrifice of Calvary to be offered there at the altar. It's not contingent upon what you're doing. You could be doing absolutely anything as you're out there in the nave. You could be praying the rosary. Um, if something especially traumatic has just happened and you need to just sit and talk to our Lord and stare into space and think and talk to our Lord, um, you do that. You don't have to be you know, singing anything, chanting anything, shaking anybody's hand. You don't, you don't have to be doing anything and nothing that you do out in the nave or that anyone out in the nave is doing affects what's going on in the sanctuary. The sanctuary is a completely different supernatural space. And so, yes, you absolutely can and other faithful absolutely can go to confession and should and it's wonderful. It is it is a beautiful thing to walk into a big old church that still has the multiple confessionals and to see, you know, three, four, you have to get to a pretty big city to see that, but to see three or four priests sitting in the box during mass and people lined up and you know as you're standing in line you you can be you know um attaching yourself and and praying the mass along with and a lot of people are standing there in line with their missile and are praying along with the mass and then when it's their turn they go in and they make their confession and they come out and it's a it's a good time to do it also especially during a, a high mass a sung mass on sundays because there's usually a lot of um sounds going on in the church and so it just makes it easier when we're talking about um traditional confessionals now i'm not talking about the new uh, i mean i shouldn't complain because any any church new construction church that has any confessionals at all i shouldn't complain about but i cannot for the life of me understand these um double telephone booth close the door i mean with all of these issues, with all of this child molestation and things going on in the confessional, why in the world would you build confessionals that are basically little booths in which sexual assault could occur? That's the thing that always mystifies me is that you hear time and time and time again, all these stories, these horror stories from these lads who are sexually assaulted in the confessional. And I'm thinking if confessionals were just constructed how they were constructed up until the middle of the 20th century, where everyone's out in the open, everything's visible, the priest is 100% totally physically separated from the penitent, all there is is a grate, and the penitent is fully visible, kneeling in the, kneeling in the side of the box there, I mean, you can see him right there and he's whispering into the grate. None of this would, how, how could you, how could a priest s sexually assault somebody in the context of the sacrament of penance if you had properly constructed confessionals? What has to be going on is that it's this business of priests hearing confessions in their office, in, you know, in some space outside of the confessional. They shouldn't be doing it un unless it's an emergency situation. If you're in the in the church with a priest and you want to go to confession, you should go to the box no matter what. No matter what, you should go to the box and the priest should sit in his position and, you know, enclosed in the box and the penitent is there outside. And that's 
it just, it blows my mind that all of this crap with all of these lads who were sexually assaulted, it all could have been um, completely avoided if there, we just had proper, properly constructed confessionals and never went away from the way confessionals were from time immemorial until hmm, about 1965, uh, you know, just randomly pulling a number out of the air. Um, so yeah, but definitely guys, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Go to confession during mass without any hesitation and don't be, don't be looking down your nose at it or anything else. It is like super nerd said, it's raising of the dead and it's an act that is of, how did you put it? It's a greater well, I, I I can't remember the exact word, but it, it's it's a more powerful miracle than the entire creation of the physical universe. Wow. Yep. So don't knock it. And and unless you are a uh, bona fide scruple patient, and and your priest will tell you whether or not you are, don't be afraid to go to confession just because you went last week. Um, I was talking before we started recording here about um, Taylor Marshall's interview with Jesse Romero, which I highly recommend. And even though we're not going to talk about it much more than just saying this. I'll put a link mm -hmm. in the show notes. Um, he, they talked quite a bit about uh, exorcism and uh, dealing with, with possessed people. And one of the things that exorcists will frequently tell people uh, is, is that go to confession, go, go to the sacraments, uh, that, that once you are liberated from possession, going to confession regularly is a, is a fortification from falling back into things. It, it is a sacrament. It is a. It is meant. It is one of the sacraments of the dead. And even if you're not spiritually dead when you go, it is an additional fortification to keep you from falling into the sins. Go to confession. Yes, I mean there's there's no there's really nothing you can say in terms of advice beyond that. Go to confession. Go to confession. Go to confession. Father Z says it all the time, and he says it for a good reason. Everybody says it all the time. I saw an interesting thing. Um, I can't remember. This is one of those things you just randomly see on the internet that I'll probably never find again, but it was a quote about how up until the middle of the 20th century, Catholics had by far the lowest per capita incidence of mental illness. And the reason that it was speculated that that was the case, one of the reasons it was speculated that that was the case is precisely because of the fact that Catholics had confession and they were able to um, they were able to speak their sins and get their sins off of their conscience so that they could move forward in life, obviously. And it's so true because you look at, you know, the Oprah culture, the, the um, trashy talk show confessional TV culture, the culture of modern psychiatry, psychology, therapy, all of the counseling, all of that crap. What is all of that? It's simply a, a weak, weak attempt at replacing the sacrament of confession. But I mean, the reason why Catholics had such a low, relatively low per capita incidence of mental illness and disturbance was precisely because you get to go, you get to say it, say it out loud, say what you did. And then you get to hear, you get to hear the words of absolution. And that is be beyond the obvious supernatural uh, ramifications of all of that, of what's actually going on supernaturally. If you want to just talk in a purely um, human psychological sense, that ability to, to speak it, to get it off your chest, 
and then to hear the words of absolution saying that you are forgiven, that psychologically, that is so important. And it allows people to just, you know, go through life and not, uh, not just be absolutely consumed by this, by the guilt and, and all of that kind of stuff. It's ironic. People always talk about Catholic guilt and it's exactly the opposite. It's the people, it seems to me, who are running around who have no outlet to um, walk, in a sense, walk away from their sins. And it's the Catholics who do. And it's the Catholics who are liberated from, from guilt, but only if you go to confession. So there you go. Well, the only Catholic guilt comes from not following the commandments and then trying to pretend they don't really, it doesn't really matter. And exactly. you, you made the point that even just at a purely human level, when you, you know, maybe you stole your friend's, uh, I don't know, phone and broke it. It was just coming up with something. If you, you know, if you confess that to them and they forgive you, that's a massive relief. I mean, this mm -hmm. is, it's the kind of thing that could eat at you for a while, especially if, if you, it's the kind of thing where you know you could get away with it if you just keep your mouth closed, but it's going to, it's going to bother you. Yeah. So just confessing it and, and, and being reconciled with your friend, that's awesome at the natural level. When you standing in place of yourself are accusing yourself to the priest who is standing in place of God and saying that what you did caused God's crucifixion, and in his place, not only is that is that um, absolution being made, but on top of that, I mean, just that that level alone. Okay, you're, we're back to the human level of being forgiven. Um, don't do it again, kind of thing. But in confession, you also have the supernatural grace and the specific sacramental grace that goes along with to help repair. I mean, the sacraments affect what they say, and uh, grace perfects nature. And that's something that I don't care how good of a friendship you have with your friend, it's not going to improve your human nature, whereas the sacraments do. Yeah. Yep, it, it can. And if you are open to it, it will make you a better person. Yeah, the, yep. the cute way I've said it before that I've gotten a couple of emails from people saying, I know where you got that phrase, is the, the cute way of saying it is go to confession before you have to go to confession so you don't have to go to confession. Confession, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just go. Everybody out there, resolve. This week, I'm going. We're past the summer. It's Labor Day. It's September. It's a new season. That's, that's a really good excuse. That's a really good reason to go to confession. Start off this new part of the year fresh. Go to confession this week. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that uh, that constitutes a show, my friend. I'm, I'm tempted to make a dessert reference again, but uh, that didn't go well last time. So I'll just go straight into the wrap up. The email okay. address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or any other theological precisions that I got wrong. The email address <laughs> is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Anne's benefactors every single day of the week and one week. Or and one, oftentimes, one... oftentimes twice. Yep. Oh, okay. Awesome. I didn't Often to, oftentimes twice a day, um, but absolutely positively guaranteed every day and oftentimes twice. Yep. And once weekly, there is the Requiem Mass. Please pray for these priests. Um, they're under attack from inside the church and from the from outside the church and from the preternatural realm. They're under attack, period. If, if you wear a Roman collar, you are under attack. And the best thing that we can do for them is to pray. Yep, absolutely. Please. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of SuperNerd Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more details, which is what Arthur, Gene, Brendan, Camille, Brian, Donald, and Sandy 
Um, I don't know if Sandy actually had a note with her donation, but there was something in the PayPal form that said slash note, slash note, slash note. I don't know if that was formatting that went awry, if there should have been a note with that. If there was, Sandy, just email me, email at supernerdmedia.com, and we'll get that sorted out. That was all via PayPal and nothing via the, the mailbox this week. But then again, I didn't check since Thursday, so maybe there is something. Thank you very much. And that keeps the logistics side of this all humming and, and um, paid for and running. And I will let you talk about Matthew 17.20. And the Matthew 17.20 intention, as always, um, full fast twice a week, whatever you can do. Um, the intention is that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified, as references our conversation earlier about uh, Ecclesia Suplet and all that kind of stuff. Um, that Rat Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005. That anti-Pope Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision. And that Pope Benedict repent of whatever he needs to repent of, likewise die in a state of grace, and likewise someday achieve the beatific vision. And I also um, I want to put in a plug for a um, an initiative that started um, this past week. It's Wednesdays. It's called the Noah Initiative, and um, there's it's pretty it's pretty simple. It's um, again fasting whatever you can do, but especially. Uh, dedicating your rosary that day to all people, all people with same-sex attraction, and reclaiming the rainbow, reclaiming that symbol that that has been so terribly hijacked, um, and is such a beautiful, uh, such a beautiful thing. And of course, the meaning of the rainbow, as we all know, is God's promise to us that He's <laughs> He's never going to grease us all again. You know that. Um, that there is this covenant and and the fact that the sodomite contingent has taken over the rainbow is just no good. And so, by golly, do something about it. Um, Wednesdays is the day for the NOAA initiative, and you can look that up, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes, too. Um, for all people with with same-sex attraction, active, inactive, you know, for that the that the ones who are active obviously stop. And then for the ones that are inactive who are who are fighting it and struggling against it for their edification, fortification, and sanctification. So the NOAA initiative, also adding that one in. Awesome. Until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>